we think of happiness sometimes as it's going to be something that we find, something that we stumble across when good things happen in my life. You know, if I make enough money, if I get a new car, we think of happiness as almost being this external thing that, that happens to us. But a lot of this research on happiness has shown that only about eight to 10% of our overall level of happiness comes from the outside. Hey everybody, welcome to the Live Your Legacy podcast. The goal of our show is to help you discover that one degree shift in your life to make sure that you start living your own legacy. Today's legacy guest is a clinical psychologist, author, and international speaker specializing in the areas of happiness and well-being. His work focuses on helping individuals and organizations prosper in life, love, and work. He is the Assistant Regional Director of Mental Health Training at a large HMO in the San Francisco Bay Area, where he helps oversee mental health training programs across 20 medical centers in Northern California. He provides training, consultations, and seminars on topics related to wellness, happiness using positive psychology, cognitive behavioral therapy, and mindfulness-based practices. He has two books, Real Happiness and The Happiness Two Books Toolbox, which focuses on helping readers to guide them in the journey of happiness and well-being. His third book, which is his latest book, All Struck, will focus on the science of awe and how we can cultivate more awe and wonder in our lives. Welcome to the show, the man who is known for his mental well-being and health, Jonah Packard. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me on. It's great to be here. Okay, Jonah, let's dive into the first question, which is what is true happiness? I think this is a very debatable question, so I really want to hear what you have to say about yeah, it. Yeah, this is a great question. Um, because that's a word that at least, you know, here in the United States can mean, it gets thrown out a lot and people mean a lot of different things with that same word. So, you know, one of the things that I really wanted to accomplish in my uh, first couple of books was to even get on the same page about what that term even means, because you hear contentment, you hear life satisfaction, you hear happiness, you hear well-being. And, you know, the, in my book, Real Happiness, I go into this a lot more in depth, but we're really talking about a combination of those different factors. So it's not just about feeling good. You know, feeling good is good, you know, and, and it's good to have joy and, and contentment and gratitude, but it's also about having a sense of meaning, a sense of belonging, a sense of connection to people, to causes, to parts of life that, are, that matter to us. So I think of it as, as kind of a, a perfect balance between feeling good, positive emotions, connection to people and other parts of our life that matter, and a sense of meaning, a sense of life satisfaction, so that even during difficult times, we're still feeling grounded, we're still feeling like our, our feet are under us uh, in that sense. So uh, it's feeling good, but it's much more. Okay, so what's the difference between being content and being happy, right? You say that those words get compared very often, but what's the difference between yeah. those two? Well, part of it's just language. And actually, I think contentment is a great term that I, you know, I think the, the kind of happiness that I'm talking about is not the jumping up and down for joy every second and, and necessarily, you know, feeling like you're on top of the world. It is much more in line, to be honest, with contentment. And some of it is also just, you know, when, when they do cross-cultural research, for example, in a lot of parts of Europe and the United States, people will use the word happiness as far as what they want. 
And then in other parts of the world, it's, it's actually more contentment that people are after. And I think contentment is a nice term. Well-being is a nice term. I think these are all, in my opinion, um, kind of arriving at the same goal, which is, you know, it's about having a rich and full life. It's about feeling at our best. It's about feeling good about where things are at, our relationships, our, you know, uh, work performance. And, and I think contentment actually is a really nice term that's very much in line with the kind of happiness that I talk about in my books, for example. Okay, before we hop on to contentment, just like you talk about how it's being happy is a lot more than just feeling good. So what mm-hmm. is that a lot more? Yeah. So it's, you know, if we think of positive emotions, for example, you have, you have, you know, joy, you have uh, optimism, you have hope. And so the emotional aspect is important. But the more that I'm talking about is, um, you know, really feeling a deep sense of satisfaction in our lives, for example. So you could imagine, and some of your listeners can probably imagine where you've had times in your life where you maybe were having a bad day or you had a setback, or you were feeling you know, like you, life knocked you down. But if you step back and you look at the big picture, you can still say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm okay with where my life is at right now, though. I'm, I'm having a bad moment, but I feel good about what I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing important things. I feel satisfied with life. I have a sense of meaning and belonging. Um, I'm part of something bigger than just myself. And so that's the kind of the more. So feeling good, and positive emotions, um, it's not that it's not important. It's, it's just that emotions have a way of kind of being there one minute and being gone the next. Um, you know, emotions are, are very fleeting. And we want to focus more on building healthy habits. And, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But, um, you know, things that are a little bit more stable, that foundation for happiness, more meaning, purpose, connection, belonging, uh, feeling satisfied with life. Um, that I think is actually a lot more important in the long run than just how do I feel in a given moment. That's almost like, um, I don't know if, if, if out in Singapore, people like ice cream as much as they do in the United States, but that's almost like the, it's like the cherry on top of the sundae uh, is feeling good. But the other stuff is more important. Definitely, definitely. And since we're going on to the other stuff, right? I understand mm-hmm. that you have seven principles, read through the seven principles in your Real Happiness book. So mm-hmm. to, our, to our viewers and our audience, can you explain to us what are these seven? Yeah, and I've actually, since that first book, I've, I've added a couple more in those. Um, so I think of you know, happiness as being the result of building positive mental habits. So we think of happiness sometimes as it's going to be something that we find, something that we stumble across when good things happen in my life, right? If I meet the right person, if I find a new job, if I move to a new city, um, you know, if I make enough money, if I get a new car, we think of happiness as almost being this external thing that that happens to us. But a lot of this research on happiness has shown that only about eight to 10% of our overall level of happiness comes from the outside. Um, there's a big chunk of it that's genetic, you know, so genes play a role as they do with a lot of health conditions and personality traits and, and things like that. But about half of it comes from more mental habits, attitudes, behaviors, and skills. And that was my goal in, in really in the work that I do generally in, in my books and my talks is to figure out 
number one, what are those habits, right? And what are the ingredients that help us become happier over time? Because it's not going to be the outside things. It's going to be something from inside. It's an inside job. Um, and so initially in Real Happiness, I talked about uh, those core seven principles. But since then, I've expanded it. So I'll just kind of briefly mention what some of those are for the audience. Um, number one is a sense of gratitude, you know, knowing, recognizing the good in our lives, even during hard times. Uh, kindness, so kindness towards other people, but also towards ourselves. So uh, trying to really do right by others actually makes us feel good, uh, even if it's small, random acts of kindness. But we also tend to be really hard on ourselves, many of us. And so learning to be compassionate towards ourselves is a really important part. So that's the third principle. Uh, many of your listeners are probably familiar with mindfulness or mindful awareness. So that's the fourth, being in this moment as opposed to thinking so much about the future or living back in the past, kind of finding a way to be a little bit more in the now is that fourth principle. Um, optimism, so having a sense of hope, looking forward to things in the future. Forgiveness, so learning to let go of things that maybe didn't go our way and not holding on to that sense of resentment or grudges, that's number six. And then social connection, that was the seventh in the initial book that I wrote that sense of belonging, that sense of connection, feeling like we're not alone. Um, and the quality of our closest relationships has a really big impact on how we feel psychologically. If those are going well, we tend to do well. So those were the initial seven. And then since then, um, I've really gotten interested in some other ones too, things like identifying and using our strengths. Um, so kind of creating more of those flow states as it's called through using our strengths. Um, Awe, which is obviously my uh, my latest book, which I'll just hold up if anybody has interest in that. That's awestruck. That's the ninth uh, principle that I talk about right now. Uh, and then I've also started to do a lot more in terms of identifying, you know, um, mind-body connection. So you know, certain things like uh, the foods that we eat, sleep habits, uh, movement, exercise, as the tenth. So in my more recent writings and work. Um, those are roughly speaking the 10. There are more, but those are the ones that have kind of the best research evidence, I would say, in terms of really changing our lives. And I definitely love the principles that you talk about. And there's many, many of them, right? And I think you answered the question of, usually people have the question of, is it a search for happiness or is it something mm -hmm. that we do to gain mm -hmm. happiness? And what, like what you say, it's a mental habit, right? Something that you do on a daily basis, you have to practice it on a daily basis. And I just want to, hover in before we go into awestruck, I want to hover in into this one point of the kindness, right? Where you talk about mm. how we are kind to other people, but we are not so kind to ourselves, right? Yes. How do we go about like recognizing that we aren't kind to ourselves? Because usually, you know, sometimes we want to push ourselves more. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to say like, no, you're not doing well enough. You know, I know that this isn't your potential. You get what yeah. I mean? Like, especially I think in terms of Asian context, I think we are extremely yeah. hard on ourselves. So how do we know like where is that uh, threshold or where's that line? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and the answer might be different for people, but I will just say that, you know, about 85% of people are harder on themselves than they are on other people. So they're, you know, they beat themselves up. They tear themselves down. And, you know, I think to your point, there are small doses of that that actually can maybe push us forward, right? I mean, if we're almost like a coach in sports, you know, the coach isn't nice all the time, 
So it's, uh, it's okay if sometimes in certain doses, maybe we are like, okay, come on, you can do better than this. The problem is when it goes on for a really long time, and it's the only way that we relate to ourselves, we end up feeling really beat down. We end up feeling demoralized. It's self-criticism over time has been linked to depression, anxiety, stress, interpersonal problems. So it actually ends up being very damaging to us because of all that stress that we're carrying around in our nervous system, in our body. And, you know, learning to change that even just a little bit. I like what you pointed out in terms of this is about small steps. It's not about, I'm going to have, you know, this light bulb moment and everything's going to be different overnight. It's really about, can I do, you know, 2% better, 3%, you know, over the next week. And then can I build on that? So, you know, what I always work with people when they're struggling with self-criticism is number one, learning to recognize how that self-criticism comes up for them, you know, because sometimes we do it really automatically. Mental habits are just like physical habits, you know. So thinking about how does this affect me? When does it come up for me? How do I, what are the words that I use to talk to myself um, in terms of that negative self-talk? And then even just a subtle shift like, well, what would I say to somebody that I really care about? You know, what would I say to somebody that I, you know, whose best interests I have at heart? And if you think about it, you're not going to just tell that person what they want to hear all the time. There are times where you want to, you know, be honest with them, right? Not in a mean way. But that, I think, is the difference between being self-compassionate and just letting ourselves off the hook and, you know, telling ourselves what we want to hear. It's not about that. It's about still having our best interests at heart, not being excessively harsh, punitive, critical. Um, and that, I think, just that, that little pause and saying, okay, how am I talking to myself right now? And what would I say to somebody who I really cared about going through the exact same thing that I'm going through? Would I say the same thing that I'm saying? Or would I be a little bit so softer, a little bit kinder? And it turns out when we learn how to be more self-compassionate, that's been linked to lower rates of depression, lower rates of stress, higher levels of well-being. So how we talk to ourselves has a really, really big role in terms of how we feel. I love how you mentioned about the use of words, right? Especially the self-talk that that's having in our brain, mm. right? The stories yeah. that we tell ourselves, the words and the conversations we have in our mind. Now I want to mm. connect this to this other principle which you mentioned in your book and what you said, social connection. Mm. And I think this is where like both hits at the same time, I explained to you, where there are some people, you know, who always want to connect with more people, but somehow they aren't able to, you know, like what they say, vibe, in a way, vibe with other people. And because of that, they go, they go like, oh man, I'm not able to like find like the right friends, but other people are able to social pretty well. And I actually have like friends who face this exact problem where they go, oh, other people can talk to like others so naturally and they can like socialize mm -hmm. with them, but I'm not really able to. Then, a plus with the harsh words that they're saying to yourself, then it double downs on the effect. So yes. how does one actually, because I myself, I don't think I've actually found an answer to, to that. Like, oh, how do you actually, is, is it because of they can't socialize or what is it? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a good question. You know, I think, um, first off, we all have different needs, right? When, you know, I think connection is important, but we sometimes think of connection as meaning, well, I have to have, tons of friends and be around people all the time and have a thousand, you know, 50,000 followers. And, you know, 
I think connection actually, what, the, what a lot of the research on connection shows is two really important things. Number one, it's about the quality, not the quantity. So sometimes people that are more introverted, especially, you know, they, they only need a few close relationships to feel like they're getting their needs met. And maybe they prefer that in more one-on-one -on -one settings as opposed to in crowds. And that's okay. It's really about knowing, identifying what we need and finding ways to, to meet those needs. Um, so it doesn't have to be anything kind of dramatic. The other thing that's really emerged from this research on social connection, and it's a, it's a subtle distinction, but it's actually, what's just as important is feeling supported by people. It doesn't even have to be, we don't have to be with those people 24 seven. Like think about people in your life maybe that maybe you haven't even seen in weeks or months, but you know that if you were going through a hard time, you could snap your fingers and they would be there for you, right? And that's really what is the most important thing, it turns out. So it's not about even the amount of time that we're spending with people so much as, do I feel close to this person? Do I feel connected to this person? Do I feel uh, like I belong with this person? And that has been one of the big trends that's gone in the wrong direction in the world is that rates of loneliness have never been higher. And this was even before COVID-19 and all that we're going through. People have never been uh, more isolated socially. This is certainly true in research in the United States. I, I, I have to say I'm not familiar as much with some of the research maybe in, in Singapore on this, but, um, but certainly in the, in the US, rates of loneliness have never been higher. And we are very, very social creatures. Uh, none of us would be here if we were not able and you know if, if being connected to the group was not an important part of, of who we are and yet we've never been lonelier despite all of the social media and technology so that's a really important trend for listeners i think to be aware of is we need this and it doesn't have to be 24 hours a day it, it's small doses can make a big difference um so going back just to what to what you had asked um you know i think we sometimes think we all have to be extroverts and we all have to be the life of the party. And, and for some of us, that's great. You know, I'm, I'm actually, believe it or not, a little bit more introverted. So, um, you know, social, you know, big gatherings can take a lot out of me. I, I can enjoy them, but I need a little bit more time to recharge my batteries, for example. So it's going to look different for everybody. Um, but if it is that self-talk that's getting in the way, that I think is an important place to, to put. You know, what am I telling myself? What's the story that I'm telling myself that might be getting in the way of those close social connections? Um, do I not think that I have anything important to say? Do I not think that I have anything of value? Um, is there something wrong with me? And, and that's the sort of self-talk that a lot of people with depression and anxiety, for example, can, can really struggle with. So. Social connection, really important. Um, but for many, many people out there, it's been you know, a challenge. Okay. And I think that's why this whole podcast exists, right? Which is to help people mm -hmm. through, like what you say, the trends of loneliness. I think it's extremely mm -hmm. worrying as well to know mm -hmm. that everyone is like in a way isolated, even though social connection, like what you say, is a need for human beings like us. So mm -hmm. people say that, along in that line, right? People say that happiness can't be planned and it's pretty unpredictable, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we then become happy even in negative situations or even when we're lonely, for example? Yeah, good question. Um, well, I would say there's a, there's a subtle 
detail in, in some of this happiness research that I think is interesting. Number one is if we go about life trying to be happy all the time, there are some re uh, studies that show actually that backfires on us. Um, that if my goal is I want to go through every day just trying to feel good um, and seek happiness wherever I can find it, um, that can actually lead us to become unhappier, believe it or not. So it's a subtle difference. So what I really write about and talk about more is let's focus more on the journey as opposed to the destination. Let's focus more on the process as opposed to the outcome. And the process or the journey is about building these mental habits, being more in the moment, being more thankful for the things that we do have, having small moments of connection, being kind to other people and kind to ourselves, experiencing more of these moments of wonder. Um, that if we focus on those skills, which is not about how do I feel in a moment, but more what sorts of habits and behaviors am I cultivating, am I building in myself, then happiness often comes as an outcome to those things, but we're not focusing all the time on, well, how am I feeling right now? And am I happy right now? And if I'm not feeling happy, well, what's the matter with me? Why aren't I feeling happier? Everything in my life is good. Why am I not feeling happy? That can make us unhappy. Um, so, so the first point is just, you know, I think focusing on the process and the journey rather than the outcome. And then if we find ourselves in an unhappy situation, I think it depends. Um, because if it's a truly unhappy situation, like if it, if it really is a situation that's bad, like a bad relationship, um, a bad work environment, um, you know, a bad household, you know, whatever it is, um, if it really is something that's, you know, toxic and, and that negative to us, um, I do think sometimes we have to do everything we can to, to remove ourselves from an unhealthy situation. So it's not just about tricking ourselves into thinking, um, well, everything's fine and it's all about how I think, so uh, I'll just you know, figure out how to feel better about this. So there are times, right, and especially in more extreme situations where all the skills and the habits in the world are only gonna help you so much if your situation around you, people and so forth are, are not good for you. But the other thing that we sometimes do is we take things that are not that bad and we convince ourselves that that's why they're, we're, we're unhappy. A lot of people do this, for example, with, with jobs, right? Where a job might be perfectly fine, but they don't feel good. So they say to themselves, well, it must be because of my job. It must be my boss. It must be my coworker. And that's why I'm not happy. Um, and so, for, for those situations, I think we want to really be careful and to think about, um, you know, is it my perspective that's the problem, not the situation? And, you know, 2,000 years ago, uh, you know, I think people all around the world, they knew this, and now we're just kind of figuring this out. If you look at uh, many types of Confucian thought or Greek philosophy, I mean, people were talking about a lot of the same thing. There was an ancient Greek philosopher named Epictetus, and he said, we are disturbed not by things, but by what we make of them. And that, I think, is part of that idea there. It's, that's not always the case, of course, but is it really a bad thing or is it something I'm telling myself? And then maybe it's more about, well, okay, I'm never gonna have a perfect life. I'm never gonna have all the things in, around me line up exactly perfectly. Can I still find a way 
to find peace, contentment, and joy in what I do have. And that's maybe where that would come in. No, I really agree with that point. At a starting point, you said that there's been a research where people who keep on thinking that there is a need to be happy, mm-hmm. especially because I am like a pretty optimistic person. So I always back then, I always think like, oh, I got to be happy every day. Mm-hmm. Right? And then when you start thinking about you have to be happy, it becomes a result. Right? It's not really yeah. a journey, it becomes a result. And then you start stressing yourself out over happiness. So I do really agree with that point that, you know, forcing yourself to be happy every day isn't mm-hmm. isn't a good thing. It's more of enjoying that journey, like what you said. Yeah. And it goes, it all boils back down to that mental habits that you build. Am I mm-hmm. right? It's all about the mental habits. And just to summarize on what you touched on, which is, you know, toxic environments and whether you are perceiving an environment to be toxic, right? Two different things. So mm-hmm. if you're already in a toxic environment, then it's time for you to really get out from there, right? Mm-hmm. And if you are perceiving it and maybe over-exaggerating it a bit, then you got to keep in tune about the stories that you're telling to yourself. Mm-hmm. All right? So now that we're talking about the mental habits back again, I want to dive in onto your latest book, which is Awestruck. Right? And you say oh, it's yeah. one of the latest um, mm-hmm. principles that you have added into mm-hmm. happiness. So tell us more about how being in awe, because it's something like, now I'm in awe because I didn't really hear about being in awe like, as a principle for happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a very new part of the field. Um, and I've, I've become really fascinated with it in the last uh, couple of years. And that's what inspired me to do this research and to, to write this book, um, focusing on how, how do these moments of wonder, how do these moments of awe affect our lives? So First, you know, I think it's important just to, to kind of get on the same page about what do we even mean when we say awe? Because kind of like happiness, it can mean different things to different people. And there's a lot of definitions, and I go much more in depth in the book, but I always think of it as the sense of wonder or transcendence that we get when we are in the presence of something bigger than ourselves. You know, and this could be a beautiful mountain, sunset, we can get it in nature. But we can also get it from people, for example, right, of inspiring people that uplift us, that make us you know, see the potential of people, incredibly talented people. So musicians and, and athletes can give us a sense of awe. Uh, learning things about the world or the universe that just blow our mind can give us a sense of awe. So we encounter something that's bigger than ourselves that we can't fully comprehend, and that is often sort of what gives us that sense of awe and that sense of wonder. Um, Now those moments, it turns out, are really important. So it's a little harder to to kind of grasp for some people right off the bat, but once they kind of understand what you're talking about, they're like, oh yeah, I can remember that feeling. Like I get that feeling here or there. So it's a very personal thing too. You wanna find out, well, what are the parts of life that give me a sense of wonder, a sense of awe, um, and how do I get a little bit more of that? Because it turns out, instead of just being this very brief, here one moment and gone the next experience, awe has a ton of benefits that we're just starting to to understand. It makes us happier. It makes us more connected to other people. It makes us more curious. It improves our physical health, so it strengthens our immune system. It changes our brain in a really interesting way. Um, and on and on we go. There's, you know, in my book, I go into about 20 different benefits of 
what did these moments of awe do for us? How do they affect us inside and out? How do they change our mind and our body and our soul? Um, and then how do we get more of them? So in the second half of Awestruck, of my new book, I go into about 60 different habits, brief meditations, small steps that we can take that can make us you know, experience more awe. And that's gonna look really different for you than it looks for me. And everybody's gonna be different in that. So that's also part of the reason I wanted to give kind of a full menu of options because you know, what gives me a sense of awe might make you feel like, eh, no big deal um, and vice versa. So we wanna, it's a very personal uh, journey to discovering that. But if we do that, uh, the rewards are really, really great. And that's what inspired me to, uh, to dive into awe as a subject matter and to write awestruck. It's just a, a very often misunderstood but universal emotion that everybody around the world feels uh, and that we all need a little bit more of. Okay, lovely. I love how it's very fascinating. Actually, I'm in awe also with um, this whole thing about awestruck because it didn't really occur to, I don't think to our viewers as well that, hey, mm -hmm. being in wonder or something can actually mm -hmm. help us feel happiness because I think I'll look at it as more of inspiration rather than happiness. So I mm -hmm. guess that's why we got to dive in more into the book, right? And find out <laughs> more about how awestruck can really help us in our life. So one of my last few questions is mm -hmm. that some people tend to have quite a lot of like self-doubt and not just self-doubt, but maybe they have automatic negative thoughts. It's mm -hmm. not really just self-doubt, it's automatic negative thoughts. So even though like maybe we practice gratitude and things like that, mm -hmm. but then we still think about the negatives. You get what I mean? Like <laughs> they, you, you get them to practice about gratitude and then they go like, okay, I practice gratitude. Now I'm gonna, now I'm gonna talk about what's bad about my day. You get what I mean? Yeah. And then that whole, like they call it ends, right? The whole automatic negative yeah. thoughts keep coming in. How do we actually overcome um, this ends mm -hmm. in our head? Yeah, well, you know, first we want to recognize that um, we all struggle with that. You know, our brain has this negativity bias and bad things have a bigger effect on us than good things. So that doesn't make us strange or, or, or weird. This is just part of who we are. And it's a survival instinct. You know, we wouldn't be here if we, didn't, if we weren't very attuned to threat and to negative parts of my environment. You could imagine if, you know, 50,000 years ago, if I was a caveman and I walked outside of my cave one morning and, you know, let's say there was a, a saber-toothed tiger over there, well, I want to be on high alert. I want to be, you know, I, I'm going to need that. Otherwise, I'm going to get eaten. And if the next 10 times I walk outside of the cave, I hear a little bit of a, you know, movement in the, in the bushes, I'm, I, I better jump into high alert. Otherwise, if I say to myself, no, I'm sure it's nothing, let me just mindfully appreciate how good it is to be alive, I'm going to get eaten. So we have this negativity bias, long way of saying that, which you know, helps us to survive, but it's really bad for being happy. And it's really lousy when it comes to feeling content. So you mentioned ants, these automatic negative thoughts. And you know, for any listeners that are maybe not as familiar with it, there's an approach known as cognitive behavioral therapy, which focuses a lot on, well, how do we change the way that I think in order to change the way that I feel. And it's all about those mindsets. It's number one, identifying what am I telling myself when I'm feeling this way? Is that way of thinking maybe a little bit skewed to the negative? Is there something I'm missing? 
And then how can I talk about this and how can I relate to myself and talk to myself in a way that's accurate and balanced? It's not about think, it's not about just thinking positive, but it's about finding accuracy and balance in our thoughts. And that's the whole goal of cognitive behavioral therapy, which really focuses on thoughts. Um, so that's a great approach for your listeners that um, it, called cognitive behavioral therapy. I do some workshops on that as well, even though it's a little bit different from positive psychology, which is more of my um, expertise, uh, but it could be a really powerful way to change the way that we think in order to change the way that we feel. Now, what exactly, since we talk about so many different habits, mm -hmm. right? what are your best personal, ha personal habits mm -hmm. that you do on a day-to-day -day basis in mm -hmm. intentionally creating happiness in your life? Yeah, this is a, uh, you know, and that's going to be different for everybody. But for me personally, uh, the ones that I have probably come back to time and time again, the most over the years is number one, gratitude, because I think it's so easy to focus on the negative parts of life, the negative parts of the day that I have learned for myself, that it's so important to have to see the whole picture and to not just focus on what's wrong, but to focus on what's right and consciously building that mental muscle um, through gratitude has been really important for me. So that's been one. And when you're so, talking about this habit, sorry to intervene, when you're talking oh, yeah. about these habits, when do you like do them in your part of day? Oh, Some people like to do it like in the morning, they yeah, do it at night. So how is that like I for like, you? I like to focus more at the end of the day and just, for example, think about or write down a few good things that happened during the day that I want to remember, that I want to hold on to instead of just moving on to the next day or focusing on something that didn't go well, really focusing in on the thing that went well um, and that, you know, my, my brain just wants to turn the page on. So I like to do it at the end of the day, but, but a lot of people like to do it at the beginning of the day and get the day off to a good start. So, um, you know, whether it's mindfulness, some people like to practice that first thing in the day or right before bed. I would encourage people to experiment and, and see what works for them. I prefer, I just do it at the end of the day to kind of recap the day. Um, Self-compassion, which I mentioned earlier, has been really important for me because like so many people, being hard on myself can, can happen. So I should always be working better and, and getting more done and being more productive. And, you know, why am I feeling this way? And so really learning to slow that down and, treat myself as I would treat others has been a really important thing. And then more recently, the last couple of years, awe and just finding small ways to find a sense of wonder and awe in life has been a really important part of my personal journey as well. And it doesn't have to even be on a big scale, just walking outside and noticing the leaves changing or noticing the sunset. Um, so we can find awe even in, in, in small places. Uh, and that's been a big part of um, my, my, my process these last couple of years as well. Okay, great. Thanks for sharing your own personal habits so that we ourselves can implement it as well. So mm -hmm. where can others learn more from you and connect with you? Yeah. Um, well, listeners are, are more than welcome to, I'd love to connect um, well, my website, which is, uh, and perhaps we could, sh we could share it when the podcast goes up, but it's just my name, www.jonahpaquette.com. And I have one of those hard to spell names, but it's J-O-N-A-H-P-A-Q-U-E-T-T-E. 
www.jeffreyhoffman.com. Uh, and that's my website. I list news and updates and any you know webinars that I'm giving on there, things like that. And then on social media, you can uh, you could track me down on uh, Twitter. I'm at uh, at Dr. Paquette, D-O-C-T-O-R-P-A-Q-U-E-T-T-E on Twitter. And then that same handle for Facebook.com. So uh, Facebook.com slash Dr. Paquette. So would love to connect with anybody um, online as well. And we'll leave all the links in the description below. So the last question to you, Jonah, is what is your meaning of living a legacy? Mm. Yeah, that's a, a deep question. Um, I'll try to give a quick, a quick answer. You know, I, I no, you don't actually have to give a quick answer. I'd like to hear like, your full well, answer. Well, I would say for me, it's, it's thinking about two, two things. Um, one which is kind of big picture and one which is, which is small. And when it comes to my work and the ideas that I promote and my writing and my talks, you know, I, I think there is so much suffering in the world, people that struggle with pain and anxiety and depression and stress. And you know, life can be, can be very, very difficult um, for so many people and you know, in ways that are really visible or invisible. Um, so you know, I think when it comes to my work, if some of my writing or talks or interviews or anything can help people just find a little bit more contentment, a little bit more happiness, a little bit more satisfaction in their lives. Um, you know, that's, that's all that I can ask for. When I, when I get emails from people, for example, from other parts of the world that will just randomly write, and write to me and say, hey, I, your book was given to me or I, or I happen to read your book and I wasn't you know, expecting this, but it really changed my life or made me you know, see things in a new way. That to me is the best thing because I know that even on an individual level, it has you know helped a person and changed their life. So that I think is you know as good of a legacy as I can get from the ideas and sort of the work that I do. You know, I would also say there's I might not get the quote right, but I always think about the um, there's a wonderful quote by Maya Angelou, and she said something like, uh, "People will forget the things that you said. People will forget the things that you did." but people will never forget how you make them, made them feel. And certainly when it comes to, you know, my team that I lead or, you know, people that I come in contact with, even if it's briefly in terms of, you know, at work or in, in seminars or conferences and things like that, I, I think it's so important in this difficult world to just treat people well and to treat people decently and to try to, do right by people. And so if nothing else, I would also like to be remembered as somebody who tried to do that. Um, so treat people well and change their lives even in small ways. To me, that's uh, as good of a legacy as, as I could hope for. I really love the answer of how you intentionally know that every action of yours is making someone else feel a certain way. So thanks for being on the podcast, Jonah. If yeah, you guys great. enjoyed this podcast, do make sure to like, subscribe, and leave a review on what your biggest takeaways are. And if you want to know more about real happiness, you want to know more about Awestruck, his latest book, head over to jonahpacker.com. And till the next episode, guys, start living your legacy, my friends. Thank you.